things real quickly, uh, and then we're going to jump into our last talk on, on just walk across the room. Alex mentioned that, that we are uh, going to be moving. Now, there's still a lot of, of paperwork, a lot of red tape that we're going through. We have put in a bid uh, on the old skating rink. It has been accepted. Um, we've signed the contract. They have signed the contract. Uh, it's, it's okay to talk about this amongst church members, but I'd just as soon you not talk about it to, other church, to people at, that are outside the church because we've still got a long ways to go. We're working on financing. Got to get an inspection. You can't get financing without an inspection of the building. We, we're buying the building and the house next to it. Um, so there's, there's about another uh, four to six weeks of, of just paperwork stuff that we've got to go through. So what I'm going to ask you to do is be in prayer We've got several different institutions that are making bids to us about financing um, as we go through the steps. We'll keep you informed on that. What we would, best case scenario, and this is what you need to pray for, best case scenario, we would be in the new building, have it renovated because it, it stinks right now. Literally stinks when you walk in there because there's some, there's some roof problems that we'll have to fix. I mean, there's stuff we know we've got to do. And so in our, in our loan amount that we're looking at, there will be um, enough money to renovate it. So we've got to go and we've got to make lists of things that need to be done. All of that has to be done before we can get financing. We're going to try to get the, the shortest, best financing that we can. We'll be going into a, 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 you know, eventually into a building campaign where we can pay that off as fast as we can. But we're so stinking excited about maybe having our own building, we can't see straight. So um, we just need to ask God to give us wisdom We've been in this building three years and about five months, um, and God has blessed us since we've been here, and we're grateful for that. Uh, but we want to have our own place, and we—I'm I'm not going to talk to you about figures until after everything's done, because I think you're going to be blown away uh, by the figures. You're going to—everybody I've talked to, you know, financing all that stuff—they said you're getting how much square footage for how much. And it has to be a God thing because it is nothing we could do. We, we've been praying and waiting and praying and waiting and praying and waiting. And God was involved this whole time. Now we can see it. Uh, and you'll be able to see it whenever we get to that point. But just, just so you'll know, that's where we're planning to go if everything works out, if God wills and continues to work through this. Um, but there's, there's lots of steps still left to go, and we'll, we'll just keep you informed each step of the way. I didn't tell you last week because we hadn't signed, we didn't have a copy of the signed contract. We had signed, we were waiting on them to sign, so now all of that's official, and we've got so much time to get financing, and, and anyway, it's, it's pretty cool. So once you know about that, be praying about it, um, but really until it's an official deal, it's outside the church, it's really nobody else's business. Once it's official, then it's everybody's business, and we'll put up signs and do stuff and work on the building and have a good time with that. Uh, I do want to encourage you, if you show up next week and your name is not on the list, we will find work for you to do. There uh, are, are flower beds that need to be weeded. There's, um, that went over like a lead balloon. Um, <laughs> it, it's true. That's the problem. It's true. And y'all are going, oh, no, I've seen those flower beds. That's what it is. That wasn't a good joke. Uh, but we'll find something for you to do. The, the Dare You to Move series is, is going to be a big deal about taking you from where you are one step closer to Christ. Whatever that is, we're going to help you discover where you are and where God wants you to go. We're going to help you discover where our church is, where we exist right now, where we need to go. And then the marriage series is just going to be fun. 
Um, it, we did we did Marriage for Dummies two years ago. It's the most talked about series that we've ever done. Um, it's the most requested CD series that we've ever done. Uh, Jeff and Teresa made copies of it and actually gave them out as party favors at their wedding. You know, here, listen to this. Listen, you need to listen to this. And people listen. Wow, good, good. Because a lot of times people, you know, somebody comes up and says, you need to listen to this. What do you do? I don't need to do squat. Well, anyway, we're going to have a lot of fun. And one of the things we're going to do is have dance lessons. We have a professional ballroom dancer. She teaches lessons. Uh, About six of us in the church, six couples, have already taken ballroom dancing from her. She's going to come here. And we're going to move the chairs, and we're going to have six weeks of ballroom dancing lessons here at our church. And I've done, I've done 12 weeks, and there is nothing you can do. Whether you're married or not, you can come. Singles, we, we welcome you to come. And one of the things Charlene wanted me to tell you was, if you're single, we rotate you around. That's so if you get with a loser one week, you don't have to be with them for all six weeks. <laughs> and... uh and we're not going to tell you if you're with a loser and because you might be the loser. But anyway, I'm kidding. God, come on. Lighten up. It is so much fun. How many of you did the ballroom dancing lessons? Stevens, Canadays, Selmans. Uh, there's about three other couples that did it with us. Janie and I did it. It is more fun than you can possibly imagine. We all stink. The men do, so don't worry about... Yes, we will laugh at you, but you'll get to laugh at me too and everybody else, and and it's just fun. Janie and I got to, over the 12 weeks, got to um, look forward to this date night. We will provide childcare here at the church. That's free. It is $7.50 per couple uh, per night. If you're single, it's $5 per single per night. You cannot get ballroom dance lessons for that cost. And so that six weeks that we're going to be doing our marriage series, uh, relationship series, we'll have ballroom dancing on Sunday nights. That will be the only small groups that we do. And Alex probably mentioned this, but I'm going to mention it again. Uh, we're going to have one hour of, uh, of ballroom dancing, which is what her typical classes are. And then we'll sit down around tables, we'll have dessert, and we'll have small groups around tables. And I'm telling you, it will be some of the most fun that you will, you will have uh, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a highlight of, of the fall. Um, so be here and do that. Now, let's jump in. Three weeks ago, we said that what if evangelism was no more difficult, because evangelism is a term that strikes fear into every Christian at some point in their walk with Christ. What if evangelism was no more difficult than what? A walk across the room. Yeah, <laughs> that's not difficult either. What would happen if we began to pay attention to other people and we began to offer them the single greatest gift they could ever offer, which is an introduction to their creator and lover of their souls, God Himself? Then we talked two weeks ago about living in 3D. Do you remember what the first D was? We were going to... Friendships. We were going to develop friendships. And then second, we were going to discover stories. And then third, we were going to discern next steps that we need to take. We're going to listen to God the whole time, His Holy Spirit, as He talks to us, uh, helping us communicate. Because when you learn somebody's story, you're going to be able to see supernaturally the next steps you need to take to help them progress one step closer to Christ. Your goal isn't to get them to run the whole field. You want them to make one step closer to Christ. And then you'll discern next steps and you'll take them one step closer to Christ. And, and if you're lucky, God may use you someday to, to be there to usher them across the line of faith. And there is nothing like being there when that happens. 
When you see someone's spiritual birthday, it will get you on fire. And I guarantee you, some of you are going to call me. You do it. If somebody makes... I, I get phone calls. You won't believe what just happened. Blah, 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 blah. And I say, sweet. Another, another one of you catches the idea of what we're trying to do. Last week, we talked about stories. We talked about the power of words, and we talked about how important it is that we learn God's story, what He's done, what He is doing, and that we learn your story, your before and after story, before Christ and after Christ's story. We talked about how important it is to know that so that when the opportunity comes, you'll be ready to tell someone your story and God's story. Because if you're ready, God will use you. If you're not ready, God's not going to present the opportunity. Now... um, Last week, I asked you at the end to, to write on the back of your card, I'll write my story. And one of you did. Now, you remember, I said on the back of your card, I'll write my story. And so, I got one story this week. It was an excellent story. Great story, but I went back and I started looking through the cards. And so many of these cards said, I'll work on my story. Oh, there's another one too, praise God. Well, one thing I didn't do last week, and I'm going to cut you some slack, is I didn't give you my email address. Real tough. Oh, two. Yay! They're popping up as we speak. (laughs) My email address, Doug at NLCCP.com. If you want to email it to me, there's, you know, some of you are going to say, well, you didn't ever give your email address. Well, there it is. But see, some of you wrote, I'll work on it, because I've been in school and I know the words, right? It's just semantics. If you say, I'll work on it, I mean, someday, like the 12th of never, I'll get to it, right? Because I'm willing to bet those of you who said I'll work on it didn't. Okay, all right, so now, redemption. I want some stories. This week, I want some stories. Now, today we're going to talk about recognizing spiritual activity, learning to see with spiritual eyes, and I want to start by taking you on a vacation. How many of you need a vacation? All right, I need your imaginations as we go on this vacation today. Um, have you ever been snorkeling? Now, I've been snorkeling. Actually, the last time I went snorkeling, I was at Grand Cayman Island. You are seeing a picture up here of... of hang on, hang on. Leave the other one up there. Hang on. Yeah, I'll get to that in a second. All right, Grand Cayman Island. And I want you to, to imagine by some stroke of good fortune... You've not played, you know, the lottery, but you won the lottery, and you get to go to Grand Cayman. You are magically transported to Grand Cayman. And as I was looking at this picture, um, I I asked Janie, I said, what color was that water? Turquoise? And she goes, "Mm, no, it's really more of a blue topaz. And I just started laughing. And she goes, guys don't know what blue topaz is, do they? I said, no, they don't. So this is blue topaz. If you looked on the computer screen, it's actually a better picture of this. So blue topaz. All right. Now, show the other picture. Next picture. Where we were, and we'll go back to that one in just a second. We were out by the reef. We came back in, and you get to swim with the stingrays. That's actually a stingray. They don't sting you. They have a barb on the back. So as long as you're in front of them, you're safe. And it's like holding a big fat pizza. I just hanging out there and it swam up. They're really stupid. I mean, they just go. And they have no reverse. So as long as you're in front of them, you just keep moving. And you can hold this thing and one touched Janie. Now, the picture was taken by Janie on the boat. One of them actually touched her. 
She was standing next to me for about that long until the stingray touched her leg. She literally crawled up my body. I'm, I'm not kidding. She was, every part of her body was out of the water on my shoulder. She's got the snorkel and the mask and the, she, the whole nine yards. And she's up there going, get me back to the boat! So she spent the rest of the time on the boat taking pictures. But we have some good, good memories from that. All right, back to the other picture. There we go. And by the way, see the... See the darkness out here? See the, the contrast? As we were pulling up in the boat, somebody goes, what's that dark over there? And the dude goes, everything that you're afraid you might meet in the ocean is over there. And, and eyes just start going. And they go, you're just kidding. He goes, no, do not go over the reef. Because we're not coming after you. You know, that type of deal. So nobody went close to the reef. All right, now, in our vacation, we get out here, and this is our boat, and we, and we park the boat, and you pop on your mask, and you've got your, your snorkel, and you've got your fins, and, and you find the great spot, and you hop in the water. And for that split second, you know, the atmosphere has decided that, that 75 degrees is the perfect atmosphere for, for the air and the water, and you hop in, and you just go, oh. This is awesome. And you're just bobbing around. And see, you're inside the reef, so, so the waves are very gentle, and you're just kind of bobbing around there. And it is great. Anybody have a problem with this so far? Not me. I, I can't wait to go again, because it's, it's just a lot of fun. Now, you finally decide that, well, I'm here to snorkel. So you pop on your mask, and you, you put your lips around the snorkel, and you decide to put your face down in the water. Up, it's just very calm and serene. But as soon as you put your face down in the water, oh my goodness, this explosion of activity all around you. You see the reef down there at the bottom? The bottom of the ocean. I can see all the way down there. How come I couldn't see it when my head was up? Now I can see it. Why didn't anybody tell me? Where did all these fish come from? Have they been here the whole time and I didn't know about it because I had my head above water? And now, Oh my goodness, there's, there's a, you swim into this big uh, school of, of blue and neon yellow angel fish and you're just... Blown away by the activity. The coral reef seems to be waving at you from the bottom. You saw, see a moray eel? I actually did. I swam down and it came out and what they said was, don't go there. And so when I saw him, I'm swimming as fast as I can back away from him. You look off in the distance, you see a couple of reef sharks and you're just going, this is incredible, how come nobody told me? So you pop your head back up. No one... As far as the eye can see, because everybody else is there to snorkel. It's calm. It's serene. Pop your head back under. Incredible activity. Incredible colors. Chaos. Beautiful chaos going on. You pop your head back up. Still and calm. Pop your head down. There's Nemo. Pop your head up. He's not there. (laughs) Pop your head down. Beautiful stuff. Pop your head up. Nothing. Let me ask you. Which is the better view? Down. Down. What if we've been living our lives with our heads above the water when there's this whole universe of activity going underneath the surface that we never see? Could it be that we are seeing on the surface and we've never learned to see with spiritual eyes? Is that a possibility? Because Jesus said, my Father is always at work. He's working now and I too am working. God's always at work, whether you see Him or not. 
What we need to do is ask God to remove the scales from our eyes so we can see into that spiritual realm because I'm willing to bet if you ever go there, you'll never settle for living above the surface again. When I go to the ocean again, I I don't just like to hang out on the surface. I like to go see the stuff underneath the surface because it's incredible. Janie doesn't, but I do. So, anyway, let's talk about today how we can see with spiritual eyes. What does that mean? Well, since we're already in the ocean, let's turn, if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 5, and let's, uh, let's look at a good old-fashioned fish tale that maybe will help shed some light on things today. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. If you don't have your Bibles, it's small print on your listening guide, or you can read it big up on the screen. Luke chapter 5. And just keep it open, because we're going to stay in Luke chapter 5 the whole time today. Uh, here we go. Once, when he was standing on the shore of the, of the lake Gennesaret, this is Jesus, the crowd was pushing in on him to better hear the word of God. He noticed two boats tied up. The fishermen had just left them and were out scrubbing their nets. He climbed into the boat uh, that was Simon's and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Sitting there, using the boat for a pulpit, he taught the crowd. When he finished teaching, he said to Simon, "'Push out into deep water and let your nets out for a catch.'" Simon said, Master, we've been fishing hard all night and haven't caught even a minnow. Don't know how many of you fished before, but I have fished all night and caught squat. And you're not in a very good mood because fishermen don't just like to fish. Don't ever believe that. Fishermen like to catch fish. All right, so just remember that. But if you say so... I'll let out the nets. It was no sooner said than done, a huge haul of fish straining the nets past capacity. They waved to their partners in the other boat to come help them. They filled both boats, nearly swamping them with the catch. Simon Peter, when he saw it, fell to his knees before Jesus. Look what he says. Master, leave. I'm a sinner and can't handle this holiness. Leave me to myself. When they pulled in that catch of fish, awe overwhelmed Simon and everyone with him. It was the same with James and John, Zebedee's sons, co-workers with Simon. Um, Jesus said to Simon, There is nothing to fear. From now on, you'll be be fishing for men and women. They pulled their boats up on the beach, left them, nets and all, and followed him. Now, I want you just to realize, these were career fishermen. These weren't first-time fishermen. This was their livelihood. They had never caught... So many fish before that it broke their nets. They had never caught so many that they had to wave their partners over and fill both boats to the point that they were sinking. I've not seen a catch of fish like that. Caught lots of fish, but I've never seen a catch like that. This is a red-letter day for career fishermen. But I want to, I want to pick up from, from the book, just walk across the room, and I want to read you just a few lines from that book. Here's what Jesus may have been thinking. Jesus probably laughs as he tries unsuccessfully to get the guy's attention in the midst of their exuberance. Because like you're a fisherman, this never happened before, you're having a big time. Uh, Hey guys, you think that was something? You think netting a bunch of scaly underwater creatures was fun? Try thinking a grander thought for a second. Listen, how about multiplying the fun factor you experienced in the last few minutes by about a thousand? Not that there's anything wrong with catching fish. I know you're trying to earn a living and taking fish to market day in and day out in order to earn a few dollars is as good a way as any. But instead of netting a few dollars, just imagine landing a few destinies. That's where the action is. Jesus' eyes probably glistened with enthusiasm at this point, their rapt attention spurring him on. 
Peter, James, John, Jesus said as he looked each one of them in the eyes, so far you three have spent your days being fishermen. But what I'm inviting you to do starting right here, right now, is become fishers of men and women. Instead of investing your precious time and energy in catching six-inch fish, let's go after the six-footers. I'm asking you to give up everything you have and everything you are for the sake of people's souls. Come with me and you'll see what real living is all about. Now, I don't know about you, but it seems like this whole idea of supernaturally filling some fishing nets with fish is really a weird way to recruit disciples. It's kind of, kind of a funky way to, to go about saying, hey, you want to come follow me? I'm going to fill your, your nets with fish. But I think this is, this is one of Jesus' most critical teachings. And here it is. It's the, it's the idea of small fish versus big fish. Hang with me just a minute. From the moment he arrived on the scene, from the moment Jesus stepped foot on this planet, all the way up until today, he's been asking all sorts of people, not only career fishermen, but businessmen, businesswomen, stay-at-home moms, dads, bus drivers, presidents, actors, singers, writers, hairstylists, and pro football players, professional chefs, retail managers, pilots, lawyers, teachers, and preachers, and everyone else, he's been asking them this one question. Are you going to throw your one and only life into... Um, Pursuing small fish? Or are you going to risk tossing your nets out to catch human-sized ones? The choice is yours. And I know some of you, your heart started beating a little faster because you thought, you know, maybe I've been existing and not living. How am I going to do this? Let's look at it. Three simple steps. The first step is you must prioritize people. You must prioritize people. Jesus desperately wanted these three career fishermen, as well as everyone who's ever come to New Life Community Church, ever thought this place was kind of cool, to understand that life is about people. It's not about jobs. It's not about houses and cars and toys. It's about people. Jesus wanted them and us to prioritize people above everything else on our list. And so Jesus asked all of us to be walk-across-the-room people. He says, will you choose to see with spiritual eyes in your situation? Because Jesus, guess what? Jesus never called the pastor to reach the city. You know what the pastor's job is according to Ephesians chapter 4 verses 11 and following? My job is to equip you to do the work of service. What's the work of service? Just what Jesus called us to do. See with spiritual eyes where He's planted you. God needs, and He's always planned for janitors and and garbage collectors and... and, uh, band directors, and and he's wanted every occupation represented so that where you are, you begin to see with spiritual eyes and you begin to do things that only God can do through you and reach people and watch where where He's at work and you join Him. Because God is always going to do more in six weeks than we could do in six years without seeing spiritually. Will you choose to see with spiritual eyes in your situation? It's the big fish opportunity that awaits us. You can catch fish or become fishers of men and women. You can be a successful business person or you can get all over the business of redeeming lives. You can be, uh, you can be the top student or focus your attention on studying people. You can shine as a superstar salesman or you can care more about letting your light shine in the lives of people all around you. You can become fishers of men and women concerning yourself not with dollars but with destinies. And if you ever do that, you'll never go back. Now, why is Jesus so convinced that seeing with spiritual eyes is the best way to live? The only way to live? Two reasons. One, 
is because he knows that's the only way the kingdom gets built. Plan A, and there is no plan B, is for you and me to reach out to people who are far from God. That's it. If you claim to follow Christ and you don't do what Christ says, don't claim to follow Christ. Because He's called us to reach people who are far from God. But secondly, He also has called us to, to do this because He knows that's there's a spiritual growth that only happens when you step outside your circle of comfort. And we're going to see that in, in just a second. Jesus knew that if you and I would build a lifestyle around accepting people, getting to know people, caring for people, serving people, listening to people, embracing people, befriending people, exposing people to spiritual things, prioritizing people, we would never crave our old life again. And here it is. Your lifestyle will either draw people toward Christ or be this huge barrier that keeps people from Christ. The choice is yours. Now, I want you to watch this video... Uh, this week I interviewed Jamie DeBose. She's been coming to our church about a year. And I asked, how did you get to, to New Life? Why did you stay? All that stuff. Listen to what she had to say. I coached Renata at the Children's Training Center. Well, I wasn't living my life right at the time. And this something about Jane drew me closer to her and made me feel like I could tell her anything that was going on in my life and that she would listen and not judge me and that she was safe, just a safe environment to be around. She just told me I didn't like to move to church and asked me if everything's okay with me. Just think that she could look in my eyes and see that there was something I rocked me. And that first question just made me draw closer to her because she cared. I was thinking, am I going to keep doing what I'm doing or am I going to change my life and go to church? Go back to church. I just knew that I was going to die. I needed to make a decision. Either I was going to live or die. And I chose to live. I love it. I love the way y'all do things. I just feel comfortable. I love the way you preach. I love the way it's set up. I love the band. My daughter does the children's church. I mean, the church is great. It's awesome. Yeah, this is very worthless because now I can call her and she's there for me and even if my days are not going so well and I might slip, she's always there to help me pick up the pieces and move on. Now a lot of you know my wife Janie and you know that... <laughs> She is not the preaching type person, you know, that she's not a go and knock on the doors uh, of somebody she's never met before person. And um, she was telling me, as, as this relationship with Jamie evolved, she would tell me stuff like she'd say, um, man, Jamie just has, has really latched on to me. 
And when Janie would walk through the door, Jamie would see her and come over and talk to her. And about two months in to this relationship, Jamie just opens up and, and tells everything about her past. And uh, I asked her the other day, I said, why did you do that? And she said, I needed a friend. And I knew I could not keep it in. I said, well, why, did, why Janie? And she said, just, just what she said on the interview, I knew she was a safe person to talk to. And now she does. She calls a lot. And, and we check up on her. And, and she's not here today. And it's probably because she was on the interview and she was real nervous. This was so far out of her comfort zone. Um, when I called and asked her to do it, she's like, what? You want me to do what? It took some convincing. But I said, your story is powerful. And she has a before and after. And, and, it's, and you need to hear it sometime. And, and sometime we'll do that. So we've got to be focusing. Priority is people. And, and Janie made this relationship with Jamie a priority and never forced anything. All she did was ask her to church. She said, hey, our, our church is meeting. If you're not going anywhere, come, come check us out. And it took a while, but she eventually came. And, and she has joined our church and serves downstairs with my wife, uh, sometimes in the, in the children's area. First thing is priority has to be people. Second thing, here's the, this is critical. And this is where a lot of churches, every church I've ever been in, I'm willing to bet the churches you've been in, this is where we fail many times. The focus has to be on potential. Because if you see somebody in the middle of sin and all you do is look at their sin, you'll turn your back and walk away. Jesus didn't do that. Because it didn't seem to matter that His soon-to-be disciples, you know, these fishermen... Um, that they, were, <laughs> that they uh, were a little south of obedient when He told them to cast their net on the other side. Remember the whole story? We just read it. Jesus said, hey, chunk your nets out. And, and they seemed to be saying, um, point of order, we're professionals. I don't know what it is you do. You, while you were at home sleep, you know, counting sheep or creating sheep or whatever it is you do. Um, that's a little bit of my imagination going on there. But you get the point. Whatever it is you do, while you were sleeping, we, the professional fishermen, were working all night and we caught nothing. We want to, we want to mend our nets and we want to go to sleep. That's what they were thinking. But Simon Peter said, we've already been doing this. You know, it's kind of like you would tell your parents, I've already done this, but because I don't have a choice, I'll do what you say. And uh, they chunk out the nets and, and incredible things happen. Now, these guys would not have been chosen for the gold medal followers of the one and only Messiah. They weren't up for any Disciple of the Year awards at this point, Right? Because they didn't even trust Jesus enough to chunk the nets out. And the point is, that didn't deter Jesus at all. He said, throw your net. Because Jesus saw what was underneath the surface. We don't see it. He does. And Jesus saw past their little disobedient spirits. And aren't you glad He did the same thing with you? I know I am. Every one of us here, there's something in our before Christ that had to be overlooked by Christ and forgiven by Christ before you could ever become a follower of Christ. He gave His life for us. We ought to give our lives to Him because He overlooked some stuff in your lives. And I want to give you a biblical example of this. And uh, you can find it. It's in Matthew uh, chapter 5, just a, little, a few verses further down. 
Christ's eye for potential was to blame for uprooting, upending, totally wrecking the life of a tax collector named Levi. You may have heard his name, Matthew. Two different names, same person. Jesus came into his life and upended his life with grace. And he was a tax collector. And just kind of to give you the idea of of the type of people tax collectors were, we have a, a short clip from Robin Hood. Well, looky there. <laughs> Friar Tuck, the old do-gooder. He's out doing good again. Well, good morning, Friar Tuck. Shush, free you, Otto, from Robin Hood. <laughs> oh, God bless Robin Hood. so uh, I'm not going to save my preaching. Now, tax collectors, this is, this is actually true. We did this years ago, and I should have brought this picture. Tax collectors on a list of acceptable occupations to the Jewish people, tax collectors were below dung collectors. You heard me correctly, dung collectors. There was such a job, and women would rather be married to a dung collector than to a tax collector. All right, you got the picture? So in, in Luke chapter uh, 5, verse 27, it says that Jesus went out and he saw a tax collector named Levi, he's also called Matthew, obviously outside the family of faith, and he told the guy, follow me. Now, Jesus had already caused quite a stir in the countryside. The Jews knew who he was, but so did the non-Jews. And can you just see the other tax collectors sitting at their booths? They probably thought he'd lost his ever-loving mind when he stood up, left behind his tax-collecting ways, and started following Jesus. And, and Matthew would soon discover that uh, choosing to see with spiritual eyes would offer wealth that this world has, has, cannot offer. This world has no idea what it's like. Follow me, he said to this wide-eyed Matthew that afternoon. And in a, in a flash, this unscrupulous tax collector left everything, including his cash register, to follow Christ. Now, what did that mean following Jesus? What did that mean for Matthew? 
Well, walking away from his business, his identity, his comfortable routine, and his financial security. But it also meant this. Listen to this. It also meant prioritizing and reaching out to the very people he'd been cheating before. That's difficult. Because he'd now walked into this circle of comfort. He could have stayed in this circle of comfort. But the people he'd been exploiting, he was now called to reach out to them. Tax collectors weren't the kindest, most respected folks around. And so now following Jesus was much more than than he'd even bargained for. Now, Matthew wasn't altogether sure what he was supposed to do, but he knew he was supposed to do something. He probably thought, what next? I found Jesus. He's the most incredible person I've ever been around. He accepts me. He loves me for who I am. What do I do now? Well, the next thing you do is your next thing on your listening guide is you start small. All right, here's, here's the idea. Matthew was a newly converted disciple of Jesus, and he had a desire, this deep desire for his friends to meet this same loving, accepting, forgiving, grace-filled Jesus that he had met. And uh, he didn't have time to go through the Disciples Evangelism 101 class. He hadn't been to four weeks of just walk across the room like you have. But all of his old buddies were standing there in their tax booths, And he's looking at these newfound believers and he has a choice to make. I can hang out with believers the rest of my life and let my tax collecting buddies go to hell. But he didn't do that. And he chose to do something and you won't believe what he decided to do. You know what he did? He took a walk across the room to his tax collecting buddies. And he cleared this idea with Jesus and the disciples and... uh, and here was the plan. Now, you've got to keep in mind, giving wasn't something that, that tax collectors did. Um, he didn't know any of the catchy worship phrases. He didn't know the little worship choruses that we sing. He didn't, he didn't know anything about telling anyone about Jesus. So, what did he try to do? He was good at throwing parties, and so he threw a party. And some of you, for the first time in four weeks, you're breathing a sigh of relief, and you're saying, throwing a party, an approach to evangelism that includes partying, whoo, count me in! Because tax collectors, that's what they did. They could throw parties. Um, He hatched a plan to throw a party, but not just any party. This party, he was going to invite all of his old tax collecting friends. He was going to stick them in a room with some of his newfound Christian buddies. And he was going to pray like crazy that maybe some good stuff would happen. You understand what I'm talking about, right? Because you could have a situation like this where bad stuff happens if the Christians come across as superior, if they come across, you know, speaking Christianity, if they come across as not normal people. So what he did was he decided to throw a party. And he was thinking, what if instead of just hanging out together, a few of my friends actually take walks too, walks across my living room to my friends, and what if some crazy conversations come up, like maybe what happened to that, that crazy guy, Matthew, what, what changed his life so much? What if some of the Christian stuff rubs off on my non-Christian friends? That would be amazing! So you might sum it up this way. Matthew had a right view of his role in his friends' lives. Matthew didn't become the... the uh, He didn't try to become the Holy Spirit for his friends. This is big, folks. Behavior modification is not my job. It's not your job either. 
Behavior modification belongs to the Holy Spirit who already has the job and is infinitely more qualified for it than you and I are. Our job is to love people. That's it. Love people. And let God do the behavior modification. Matthew knew that God had saved him for a purpose. And this purpose wasn't just his salvation. Uh, the purpose was that he was beginning to look around with spiritual eyes and see others with spiritual eyes. And he was beginning to make people his priority and he was be- uh, to focus on their potential and see what they could be- become because he'd seen what he had become from his past. And his purpose was getting all over this idea of taking walks across rooms for people because if he didn't, they were bound for hell. Because he knew this. This is what Matthew figured out. The only thing he could take with him to heaven was people. I want you to think about the last week. Everything that you focused so much of your attention, your time, your talents, and your treasure on this last week. How much of it was temporary? My house is temporary. The land that I supposedly own, I don't own it. Because what happens if I die? Somebody else is going to come along and think they own it. You know, they may pay money for it, but they, you just get to borrow it for a while. My cars, I am all too aware that my cars are temporary. Right? You look at the people in your lives. They're permanent. So you've got to make a choice. Are you going to spend your life, this one and only life you have, pouring everything you have into temporary stuff, or are you going to pour your life into things that last beyond the grave? Well, God offers us this invitation, and will you sign up for seeing with spiritual eyes, or will you settle for your lesser vision? Back to our vacation for just a minute. I really don't think Christ came so that you and I could float around on the surface on our little inflatable toys. Yesterday I was really tired. I I did a lot of work in the morning for some friends of mine, and I was worn out and I came back and I jumped in the swimming pool with my kids and I am the toy when I'm in the swimming pool with my kids. Throw me, Daddy! Catch me, Daddy! Daddy, I'm jumping! You know, and I was just like, I'm so tired. What I wanted to do more than anything was get on an inflatable toy and get in the shade because like I've got this mayonnaise whack body here, you know, that, that I can't handle sun and bald head. So I wanted to get over in the shade and just lay there. God didn't come for you just to bob around on the surface for your comfort. God came to rock your world. If you come to Christ, He'll mess you up in a good way. (laughs) And if you've ever experienced the grace of God, it messes you up. I had lots of plans for my life that, that did not include preaching or starting a church. Didn't include being poor. And God messed me up. And He messed my wife up. And He messed up my children. And we pray every night that our children will fall in love with this this crazy thing called the local church. And we pray that they will be attracted to people who are radically following God. Because we realize this is the only thing that really matters in life. And everyone here knows what it's like to be messed up because you went your way. And we do it over and over and over again and we hope that somehow things will turn out different and when they don't, maybe finally we'll say, okay, there's got to be a better way and and God says, yeah, there is. (laughs) And I'm working. And if you'll join me, I'll mess you up in a way 
that is contagious. Don't settle for what you see on the surface of your life. There is this whole spirit-filled universe of activity going on beneath the surface, but you and I don't see it. We don't take the time to see it because we're too busy chasing temporary stuff. So my challenge is, if you're willing to dip your mask under the surface and see with spiritual eyes this exciting world that's vibrant and alive and active and awe-inspiring, then do what Matthew did. Throw a party. And I'm dead serious. I want our whole church to throw Matthew parties over the next 30 days. And we're going to come back to this concept over and over again in the months ahead. Wes is my next door neighbor and we've talked about what we're going to do. We've, we've targeted three couples in our neighborhood that we see all the time, but we never hang out with. And we're going to have a barbecue by my, my above-ground pool that sinks and is like four inches deeper on one side than the other. But anyway, it still has most of the water in it. But we're just going to have this party, and, and we're going to invite non-Christians to come to our house, and we're just going to pray that God will do some stuff. We're praying that, and here's the incredible thing, as we are obedient and we do this, we're going to find out that God's been working in their lives so much longer than we realize to prepare them for this moment that we take walks across rooms and invite them to do something. Now, if you do this, let me give you three quick cautions. All right, These are pointers that you must follow or you're going to do more damage than good. First, keep it simple. All right, It makes a lot of sense for me to invite people because we got this, this vacant lot next to us. It's our... It's our land, not really. It's our borrowed land. You know, the title says that it's our land, but you understand what I'm saying. It's in between my house and Wes's house, and everybody that walks the neighborhood sees it. There's a pool out there. They see us out there. We've, you know, Janie's met people as they've walked by. So it makes a lot of sense for us just to say, hey, we're going to have a party. Um, we're going to have the grill out. Y'all come. Don't bring anything. Just come. We want to meet you. We want to hang out with you and do that. But do whatever makes sense. Here's the second point. Do whatever makes sense for you. Keep it simple. It doesn't have to be expensive. It doesn't have to be elaborate. But second, do what makes sense for you. If you don't have a pool, then don't have a pool party. <laughs> I mean, if you live next to the park, go to the park for a picnic. If it's somebody at work and, and you think that maybe they would be kind of freaked out and think they're gonna, you're going to... Don't get upset if I say this, but if they think that maybe you're multi-level marketing when you invite them to the house, you know, Amway or Melaleuca or whatever, I don't know. If you think they're going to be freaked out by that, take them out to eat. Neutral setting, meet them there so that they won't think, I'll be trapped in the car, you know. And pay for their meal. What? I have to pay? Yes. Pay for their meal just to hang out with them. Take one step and pray that God will show you what's going on in their lives. And don't go with any agenda. Make the priority them. Discover their story. I've never had anybody turn me down when I say, tell me about your background. Where'd you grow up? How? My favorite story, I love this. If I'm talking to couples, my favorite story is, tell me how you met. And everybody has that story. Everyone, and they're all different, and they're all exciting to them. <laughs> and if you listen, God does this thing where He begins to connect your hearts. And some point, they're going to ask about your story. Some point they're going to ask, you know, what you do and why you are the way you are. If you're at an apartment complex, then, you know, figure out there's probably a pool. Figure out whatever makes sense for you and do it. And just like uh, just like, you know, the last week when you said you were going to work on your story, 
don't just say you're going to work on it. Get it on the calendar. Because if you don't, six months from now, you go, oh yeah, I was supposed to walk. I forgot. Now here's the last thing, and this is critical. Get the ratio right. Now, write that down and then look up here. You've got to get this one right. If you invite ten Christians to your Matthew party and one non-Christian, the ratio is jacked up. Do you understand what I'm saying? They will run kicking and screaming and never give you another opportunity. I think you need to have more non-Christians there than you have Christians. Now, Alex talked about earlier, we're not saying that you get involved in the activities of people who are far from God. If you have a weakness, you know, for alcohol, don't go to a keg party. You know, you understand? If you have a weakness for drugs, if you have a weakness, whatever your weakness is, don't plan the party around that. But... Get some folks that, that you can be strong with. I don't do a whole lot of sinning around Wes. He does a lot of sinning around me. He just can't help it. Um, I'm kidding. But you understand what I'm saying. Find somebody, just one other couple, and say, let's do a party together. And let's invite some people, and let's just have fun. You remember the first ever miracle Jesus did? Where was it? At a wedding. What does that mean? It means Jesus went to social situations and He wasn't threatened by them. I think Jesus was a blast and I think that's why people hung around Him. And I think religious people are not. And I think that's why people don't want to hang around us. I want to be like Jesus. I want people to not run and hide at Walmart when they see me coming. Oh, there's the self-righteous jerk. I don't want to talk to him. I want people to see me and say, I need to talk to him. Right? So let's become that type of church. Now, I promise if you will dig into people's lives and you'll trust the Holy Spirit to help you go through all the the turns, because there's going to be turns, twists and turns. Once you start seeing with spiritual eyes, you're not going to go back to the way you were before. Now, I want us to pray together and we're going to be dismissed. And I want you to... um, I want you just to be real honest with God for just a second. If you're willing, because a lot of you wrote, I'm willing to walk four weeks ago, three weeks ago. You said, I'm willing to walk. I'll work on my story. (laughs) If you're willing to do the Matthew party, would you just say, God... I'm willing. Show me what to do. In your mind, just quietly say that to God. I want to make a difference, but I don't know how. So show me. And now, right now, in in the quietness of this moment, I just want you to say, God, bring to my mind the people you want me to walk for. Father, it's my prayer that we will never be the same, that we will grow spiritually because of some simple steps that we take towards people.